0: How many of you, just by a show of hands, have ever participated in a timeshare presentation? I won't ask if you actually signed on, but did you ever? Okay, so a few of us have. I have. Anne and I did that. I I can't remember when or, or, or where we were, but I remember there was some offer. If you sit through this hour presentation, you'll get something. We were like, oh, wow, free stuff. Cool. Yeah, whatever. We didn't know what it was until we sat down and we realized, oh, timeshare. And you know, they've got this really slick and glossy presentation and they uh, get you imagining yourself in all these exotic locations, you know, on the beach in Cancun or island hopping through Hawaii or just sitting peacefully by a lake somewhere and rejuvenating your soul all for an extremely low price, almost nothing. And you can have all of these experiences and you're thinking, wow, this, this really is amazing. This, this seems too good to be true. There's got to be some catch. And if you know anything about timeshare companies, there actually is a catch. They are notorious for not exactly sticking to everything that, they, that the presentation said. There, it turns out in the contract that you sign, there's all sorts of conditions, exclusions, dates that are not available, you know, fine print, and other hidden costs. I actually think there's a comparison here to be made with Christianity. Not a perfect comparison, but sometimes I think we, this whole enterprise that we're about here in the church has some relevance to that because there is what Jesus says about God's unconditional grace And love and forgiveness that is free and available to everyone. And it's like, wow, that is unbelievable. I can't believe that could be true. In fact, the people in Jesus' time often could not believe that he was offering this forgiveness without any institutional involvement. And then there's what the church said about what Jesus said, often layering on a whole lot more conditions, exclusions, and hidden costs right so even as Jesus is offering free love and forgiveness and and grace the church comes along and says well actually there's a little more to it than that first you have to accept our uh, our value system our theology our hierarchy and our structure which of course means accepting things like patriarchy and uh uh, heterosexuality and and all the things that we know sometimes go with institutional church and institutional religion which are quite different from what Jesus said in the gospels. So in this series we are trying to focus on what Jesus said. In this series he said what? Focusing on what Jesus said not necessarily on what the church said Jesus said and then all of the other conditions that were added on top of it which admittedly is a bit tricky because the only way we know about what Jesus said is because the church told us the gospels themselves are products of the early church and therefore we might initially be suspicious and sure we should be a little suspicious but just bear in mind that the early church at least for the first couple hundred years in which the Gospels were written, had no power, had no social power, no social influence. They were a marginalized group, and anybody who associated with this group was uh, basically putting a target on their head. So while we think of the church as kind of this big oppressive institution, back when the Gospels were written, it was not that way at all. These are people who are sincerely trying to pass on the teachings of Jesus to the next generation. Now, did a little bit of their own agenda get slipped in along the way? Yes, it did, but it's quite different than than the way that we think of the church today. It was only later that the church became merged with the empire, and the church and, and, and the empire basically became married as one couple, as one thing, which I... Firmly believe is the last thing that Jesus had in mind or wanted. Jesus' teaching and life was anti imperial, so the fact that the church eventually merged with the empire in the fourth century is something that I think Jesus would just be appalled at today. And yet, the church and the empire, the state, have been merged in this kind of very weird marriage for 1700 years. And only recently are we seeing signs, cracks in the relationship, cracks in the marriage that that suggest there's a separation going on between these couples who might be heading for a divorce, which we could celebrate because these two probably never should have gotten married in the first place. Now, you might be thinking, Matt, haven't you been paying attention to the news recently? Like, the Supreme Court, hello? The rise of Christian nationalism, it seems like these two are still pretty much uh, connected as a firmly committed couple, and, and that's true. And yet, there's also signs in our culture that this uh, relationship is starting to break down, or at least people are starting to see the relationship for what it is and going, you know, I don't want any part of that. More and more people are distancing themselves from Christianity and from organized religion in general, which makes a lot of sense. More and more people are saying that the church is anti-Christian, is anti-Christ, is un-Christian. People are not rejecting Jesus so much as rejecting what their followers have done in the name of Jesus. So when I talk about American Christianity today and in this series, I'm talking about how Christianity has become more like America and less like Christ. And Christian nationalism, this thing that we keep hearing about and seeing, is simply American Christianity on steroids, on a more toxic and damaging level. Now those of us who really care about what Jesus actually said, distinct from what the church might have done with it and what America has done with it, have some reason to be grateful that this breakup is starting to occur, because it creates the possibility for a more authentic, less nationalized, less oppressive faith can emerge that might be, maybe, we hope, a little closer to the heart and the way and the life. And the teaching of Jesus. So while plenty of people are abandoning Christianity altogether. Others are asking important questions. To help us reframe our faith. And to reject Christian nationalism. And get our eyes back on the ball, such as the makers of our modern lesson did so so well, so comically, so tragically to recast Jesus according to the values of American culture, to expose just how far afield we have gotten from the original. I also follow a guy named Carlos Rodriguez, and I recommend that you follow him as well, who recently posted this, which is a wonderful way to tease these things apart. He says, following Jesus means loving the immigrant more than loving your country. Following Jesus means caring for the sick more than caring about your privileges. Following Jesus means valuing your employees more than valuing your profits. Following Jesus? There's another meme that I saw just this past week, uh, which also puts this into kind of stark relief. This is a picture of a clergy person talking to a younger person And the clergy person says, God gave birth to himself to kill himself as a sacrifice in order to appease himself so that he would no longer have to throw us into a fiery pit for all eternity because he made us in a way that was not up to his own very high standard. And the child is listening to this and says, Thanks? What's fascinating here to me is that although this is a complete caricature of Christianity, it's not wrong. There are elements of this theology that have, you know, come about throughout the history of Christianity, but what's striking to me is this is so absurd because it has almost nothing to do with the teachings of Jesus. You won't find anything, much of anything like that in what Jesus actually said. So this is just by way of introduction to this series that we're going to be embarking upon over the next couple of months. This journey of trying to disentangle what Jesus actually said from what the church said Jesus said and then adding their own conditions, exclusions, and costs on top. Well, speaking of journeying, we are in a section of Luke today and in the weeks to come that happen to be known by scholars as the travel narrative. And the travel narrative are everything Jesus is saying on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to have his final showdown with the nationalism and the empire of his time. And meanwhile, as he's traveling, he's given the disciples every bit of advice and teaching and instruction that he can in the time that he has remaining with them. And in this particular story that we find today, uh, Jesus tells this very short, very simple, it's so short and simple, if you blink you might miss it, but it is so important and offers a very uh, central truth about his teaching. He tells this story of a householder, a homeowner, coming back to their house, this is a wealthy person, after being out late at a wedding party and coming home and finding what the servants are doing or not doing. And Jesus asked rhetorically, do you think the householder would be happier to find the servants to help there asleep on the couch? Or would the householder be happier finding the servants awake and alert and ready to receive their boss when she gets back from the party? And Jesus says, and for those that are awake and alert, the householder is going to welcome them to the dining room table, open up the refrigerator, and serve them a lavish four-course meal, let's say. That the the master, the Lord, the, the householder is going to serve the servants. This was just mind-blowing at the time of Jesus and should blow our minds today. I mean, how often does this happen today? When was the last time the the Queen of England or the President cooked themselves a meal for the housekeepers of their house? How often does this happen in our world? I have not only seen two seasons of Downton Abbey. But I don't think I've ever seen the the Lord and the lady, I can't remember their names, come back to Downton Abbey late one night and the servants are there and they serve them a a sumptuous meal. I only have one particular uh, way to connect with this myself. I remember when our kids were little and... Uh, when we wanted to go out and, and re- reintroduce ourselves to each other, Ann and I, and, you know, have sustained adult conversation without sitting on a half-eaten cheese, it we would get a sitter to come and watch our kids. And I very quickly came up with a system of how to evaluate the quality of the sitter based on one simple observation. Normally when we left the house, we left the kids eating dinner so they were occupied and would notice less that we were slipping away and the sitter would sort of take over from there. Well, when we got back to the house at 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, sometimes we would find those dishes still on the table. With other sitters, we'd come home and find the dishes in the sink or in the, there in the sink. But sometimes for that rare sitter... And I can actually only think of one, Megan Namlich actually washed the dishes and put them in the drying rack or in the dishwasher. We, just, we were like, this is amazing, this, this is mind-blowing. So of course, we sat Megan down at the table and served her a sumptuous four-course gourmet dinner. Okay, we didn't actually do that, but we did hire her back as often as we possibly could. What is this parable all about? Is this parable about the second coming of Jesus? Jesus is coming, look busy. The rapture, the rapture, by the way, is not in the Bible. That's a subject for another sermon. But no, it's not about that at all. It's about living with an attitude of readiness, of being prepared to see God and welcome God In any moment. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. This is what it means to follow me. To be ready to see God in each and every moment. And notice that the the servants in the parable don't do anything. Other than be awake and open the door. And that is enough for the householder to serve them a gourmet meal. It's all about living with this attitude. Attitude of readiness and preparation and expectation. And anyone, Jesus says, can do that much. And that's all it takes. At the close of Jesus' life, when he did get to Jerusalem, they themselves sat down for a meal together. And after they feasted and enjoyed a traditional Passover meal, Jesus embodied this ability of... this. Ministry of taking on the role of a servant in a powerful way by washing his disciples' feet. And he said, This act is everything. And when Peter, when it was Peter's turn to have his feet washed, he said, No, Jesus, this is completely wrong. This is completely inappropriate. You're the boss. You're the teacher. We should be washing your feet. You shouldn't be washing our feet. This is the role of the servant. You shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, if you don't get this, you don't get anything about me. This is what it's all about. God taking the role of the servant to love and to serve and to nurture you and that you should do this same thing for others. That's what it means to be my follower. Christianity, following Jesus, Sometimes I think we should abandon that where Christianity becomes becomes so toxic and loaded with things we don't want to associate with. Following Jesus, being a person of the way, wayfaring is sometimes what I think we should call it instead. Anyway, it means time-sharing. It's all about time-sharing, sharing time. With God, being ready, being alert to greet God anywhere in the house of creation. And when we do that, when we just show up, when we just allow ourselves to be ready, God shows us abundance. God serves us, which is the most outrageous, scandalous, humbling experience ever that the creator of the entire cosmos and the multiverse, if there is one, would condescend to serve little specks of stardust like us. Jesus actually starts out this passage by saying, God wants to give you the entire kingdom, or as we say here at this church, the kingdom. Jesus humbled himself all the way to the cross to show God's unexpected, unconventional, totally uncommon love, to put us on the path and on the way of Jesus, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Amen. Ashe. Namaste.